podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Minefield podcast from Anfield Index Pro. As always, I am your host and I am ably assisted by my co-host, Mr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, how's life over in NYC at the moment? You're not in NYC, NYC. actually. Far from NYC. (laughs) People in NYC would consider where I live the boondocks, for sure. (laughs) Though it is technically the capital district of New York State, the Albany area. So... um, really impressive for all of our listeners out there i am i am to use some information that i have learned recently i am going to bring a lorry full of insight to our podcast today excellent excellent um it's good that you're starting to learn the vernacular and maybe one of these days you'll not call it soccer you'll call it football (laughs) i'm joking i'm joking um but we are having this conversation on the back of Two magnificent wins, one against um, the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers and another against some upstarts called Manchester United. And um, I suppose when we were chatting about where we were going to approach this podcast from, we were weighing up the, you know, whether the club needs to just rip things up and just start again and how it can go about that or does it look at trusting what it has and just finding new ways to get the best out of those? And it's interesting. I just had a client I'm working for, or working with, sorry, who is working for a major, major tech company. And they are literally going through that process at the moment of do we rip shit up and uh, start all over or do we try and find the best way to utilize the people that we do have left. And it seems to be a massive struggle in the organization. And he won't mind me talking about it because I'm not naming names. But it is very interesting in the parallels of that with what maybe we're experiencing as LFC fans. But let's just revel in it first. Mm. Seven fucking nil. And it's all... It's all the sweeter when you have family members and friends who are seriously, seriously big United fans. <laughs> your dad, right? And my brother. <laughs> Even better. Yes. Yes. Even better. I was really nervous this year because we spent a lot of time laughing about Man United's situation <laughs> last year. And I really enjoyed that. Um, and so I was disappointed that we might not get that chance at all this year and i watched the the other let like the other whatever fixture uh man united with my friend who's a man united fan so this one i kind of stayed away i didn't say a single word just let it sit um 
a lorry full of smiles uh, <laughs> on my side because, wow, that that was about as much fun as I've had watching a soccer game, football game, and uh, all season for sure. Yeah, for me, it's definitely one of the, the most enjoyable matches I've ever watched in yeah. my forty plus years of watching Liverpool. <laughs> it was so much. It was so good, and do you know what? I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's actually a United fan afterwards, and and obviously my dad, and I said to him uh, that after five minutes, I knew we were going to win. I was so confident because they just started off with that mindset of let's just waste time, aka let's play for the draw and try and hit them on the attack because they are not good at the moment. And we were 10 or 15 minutes, I think, where they had a couple of chances, but we had a couple of chances, which, you know, Sky Sports don't want to remember. Um, but we lift, literally ripped them apart. It was yeah. It, it, like, it was bizarre to me. It was like the first time in a really long time that they sort of had some sort of psychological advantage of being in a different spot and they immediately threw it away by like wasting time which is just sort of like wow you're not even here to win like you didn't even come here to win in the first place like like assert yourselves a little bit no that I, I think my favorite part of the game was just like how much fun the players were having yeah you know like if that game had gone on for another hour like we could have gotten 20 like yeah. they were just like, they they loved it and like happy for each other. Firmino gets in on the mix. Salah gets his record, two each from our like our new strikers. He got like the odd couple there and Gakpo and Nunez doing their yeah. different things. A chipped finish from Gakpo, which is just like Mo's second goal too. Just like um, how comically perfect that rebound set him up. Like that ball could have bounced anywhere. And like the best thing about that was it was just like just just a kick in the shins for them. Like even this thing that wasn't that dangerous became a goal. And it was it was great fun. And we haven't had those things fall for us this season. Literally the complete opposite has been happening. Um so it's yeah, it was it was just pure joy. I was sitting watching it with my wife and one of my daughters, and we were just like, "Yeah, fucking hell, this is just unbelievable, unbelievable." Um, so I enjoyed every single minute of it, and I do think it is worth tapping in to this. And I suppose a lot's been made about the tactical tweaks that we appear to have made. And I know last time we were uh, we were talking about Fabinho and uh, being a new dad and stuff like that. And I did see somewhere someone asked, um, "Is is Fabinho's wife doing the night feeds now?" You know, like. And I thought that's so weird that we were only talking about it last week because right. the last couple of matches he has seemed much more himself. But I think a lot of that is to do with the new tactical setup where he he is much further forward. He is pushed on. And it was actually interesting. I was listening to the Under Pressure podcast today and they were talking about how high up our fouls are happening in the last two matches compared to previous matches. And maybe the catalyst was the Real Madrid match where definitely two of those goals could have been stopped that high up the pitch by just taking the foul. 
Mm-hmm. What's yeah, your it, take? It, tactically? I don't know if I have one. Well, the honest. psychology of the tactical, apparent tactical switch. Being more on the front foot? Yeah. Um, you know, I think more than anything, it's about, does it feel more normal? Is that really Fabinho's role? Is that playing to his strengths? Is that like fit more with how he plays well? And I think like, if you think about Fabinho at his best, he's not, he's not a reactive defender. It's like he's getting himself in aggressive positions and then, you know, just getting a leg in. And it's like, he like just kind of from nowhere can like reach from far away with his legs and get himself into a challenge and like get himself into things. And so I, I think, like, um, that's how I sort of see his game, you know, whereas like you're going to have some people who play holding midfield where they're reading the game really well and being sort of like not reactive to it, but like they're keeping the game in front of them rather than getting right into the mix and disrupting early. And I think maybe he is at his best when he's disrupting things early, although someone who knows more about uh, football and the, the the position of holding midfield might have something different to say about it. But I think if that the tactical shift there puts our one of our most important players in a role that's more suitable, then you know that's going to psychologically change things a lot. And I think just being higher up the pitch and a little bit more aggressive, um, you know, you're creating chances, you're creating chaos, like you, you feel that a little bit that we're being effective here and we're disrupting them here. And like, that's something that can build a lot of like good momentum and good energy of like, oh, like we have a, a foothold, like we can get at them, we can make them upset. Like it makes you feel stronger, more powerful, more capable, gives you something to reference. And so, um, yeah, if last time we spent a lot of time talking about how in some ways, losing Fabinho changed, had a psychological ripple effect through the team of not having that role, then if they've adjusted the tactics in a way that um, gets him playing to his identity and then allows the rest of the team to play to their identity and feel that foothold and feel that here's our process, here's what we can do and lean on, then that would have like a significant knock-on effect psychologically of like, yeah, and I do think on an individual basis, like when Fabinho was, you know, three years ago at his height, he, his ability was so strong that he was almost able to marshal the, that defensive midfield position um, because he was able to read the game really well, which allowed for the attacking midfielders to push on a bit more. Although Ginny was definitely more of a sit-back kind of defender. But recently, I think he's been kind of exposed. And on on a, a psychological level, to me it looks like they've kind of gone, OK, look, we're not going to leave you out to dry every single match and leave you exposed if we don't have to. And they've just been trying to figure out how that could work best. And like we've had some really bad results since Thiago has been injured. We've also had some really bad results with Thiago in the team as well. But I think he was probably a bit more disciplined, a bit more like Ginny, but just not quite as, um, I don't know if not quite as good, just a different type of player. Um, so I wonder now with the, and I think Dan um, was saying it earlier on on the Under Pressure podcast, there was much more balance in the attack and the defence. So while 
you, a couple of years ago, we could leave three at the back and let everybody bomb on because Fabinho and then Matip and Virgil could sweep up everything else. They were, they were, they had the physical attributes. They were probably better than maybe they are right now. More, more agility and all that kind of stuff. But they had to tweak to, to recognize that, well, whether they can or can't do it, they haven't been doing it. So mm-hmm. I wonder how, you know, would Klopp metaphorically or actually sat down with Fabinho and said, look, we're going to put an arm around you here. We're going to give you extra support. We're going to work to give the team more balance, not just you, but we're going to show you through our tactics that we're not going to leave you exposed. And has that had a positive impact? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I, I mean, like, with that case, like, I have no, like, no real idea. Like, I don't know that that's, like, a tactical nuance that I necessarily even picked up on at all or that I've seen. Like, I don't know enough about how midfields work to be able to tell you, like, is there more support there? Like, I wouldn't have naturally thought so, given who was playing next to him against United, although they both played well. Um, you know, and I had seen something in The Athletic about the formation ultimately looking more like a 4-2-2-2 um, with Henderson sort of next to Fabinho and Elliott sort of as a 10 on the opposite side as Gakpo. Um, but, yeah, like, I really... I don't know, I, like, that would be the kind of thing that maybe would feel really nice, but also can kind of feel like a little bit of a restart as opposed to, you know, I think Klopp does have a tendency to, to push through of, like, fuck, like, we're gonna, we're gonna keep doing what we're doing until it works. Like, we've got our thing and we're gonna stick to that thing until we find it again because, like, and he says this in press conferences all the time, like, it, it will find us again. We will find it again. Like it's being patient in these scenarios while also working hard. It's really important. Um, so yeah, like I, I think um, the pressing and the fouling higher up the field, like that's definitely suggests something. And one of the thoughts that came to me too, as you were talking is like, um, there's a quote I like from Thoreau, which is man is rich in proportion to what he can afford to leave alone. And the idea there is that like, you know, what, if you have to chase everything, then it implies like um, you're missing things, right? Like if you have to go after everything and follow every lead. And I think like the way that plays out in um, sports psychology, especially on an individual and team level, on an individual level, um, sometimes I'll, I'll work with players who like they want to develop this really well-rounded game. And so it's like what they're working on is getting good at everything. And anytime they make a mistake, they're like, well, I got to get better at that. I got to get better at that. And so much often a lot of what we're doing then is saying like, 
No, pick your three or four things, right? Two, three things that you're really strong at and figure out how to be really effective with those strengths. Don't worry about every single little thing because you're never going to be able to get good enough at all of those things to use them all effectively. And you don't need all of those things to be effective. And so like it's similarly like the once people decide like, hey, I don't need to be the fastest, but like if I'm the smartest, I need to know how to do that all the time. Like I need to know Tiago's game is really great, but really simple in some ways. Like it's, it's technically difficult, but like he's going to receive the ball in a way where he's, he never just receives it straight up. He always faints in a direction and moves in another way. He knows where the space he wants to go into before the ball comes to him is. And he is excellent at giving himself an extra two seconds on the ball or creating that extra bit of space before he receives it, which gives him then more time to use his vision and passing and control the game really well. And like, that's, that's what he does. He didn't go like try to be the most physical. He doesn't try, like that's how he uses his talents and like he's leaving a whole bunch of things out there. And I think as a team too, like as you were talking about Fabinho's role and like, um, you know, how, Virgil and Joel could just sweep up, right? And, like, I think in some ways there's something you can leave alone when you trust them to clean up behind you. You don't need Fabinho further back because you're trusting your center backs. And so it's like, well, I, in some ways it's like we don't need to worry about the counterattack because we have two center backs out there who anything that's hoofed up the field, they're going to clean up. So we can push Fabinho up further, which means we have one role for him, which means we can do the other things. And so um often that becomes a big problem is as your process gets undermined, you try to do more or there's more you have to think about. I can't leave the counterattack alone. So now I have Fabinho in this different spot. So that means I'm taking that away from somewhere else. And that means someone else has to. So it's kind of like this. When you have a really good identity, there's a comfort level with giving something up. And we used to have something that we felt like we could give up to other teams that wasn't going to hurt us too badly. Um, Once we, and it's just a narrow road to walk because you can think of when we started playing this way, it was like we would work really hard and have teams under pressure. And then eventually some ball would get kicked up the field and they would turn it into a goal and would be like, God, oh, motherfucker, you know, like that's the one chance they had. And that was like a love run thing often. Once we got the right center backs in, it was like those that wasn't hurting us anymore. Um, yeah. And then for the last six months, nine months, whatever, like it has been hurting us a lot. So, um, yeah, that's maybe my thought there. And it, yeah, it's interesting you, you say that because when the team was announced, I was a bit concerned about, about our midfield because um, I assumed Harvey would be on the left and Jordan would be on the right. And following the, the thread of what you're discussing, I wonder, like I actually thought that was Henderson's best game in a long, long time. Um, but I was watching it and I was kind of, looking at him and going, he has a lot less to think about, but he has a lot more to think about. And what I mean by that is, when he's playing on the right side of midfield, he knows that role so automatically, or he has created the idea of what that role is. So he does it and does it and does it, and it frustrates the hell out of a lot of us. Um, But when he moved to the left, it's 
a slightly different role that he's expected to play. So he probably had to really concentrate and listen to what the instructions were that they probably kept very simple for him. So he was able to keep things simple because he had to think about things. And mm. I know we always talk about, you know, automaticity and, and how that's essential in terms of being able to do things on a pitch. But sometimes I wonder is when somebody is doing the same thing over and over and over again and it is not being effective, is it a bit of a a good thing to challenge them by putting them in a different position to make them think about it but also take the pressure off them and say you only have to think about these three things and this is all you have to do so the pressure is off them a bit Mm -hmm. yes because so the thing about like the flow zone and automaticity and not thinking at all right is like um i think on a very basic level athletes have the experience of i play my best when i'm not thinking and so i want to be not thinking as much as possible, um, which sometimes is is fine, and you have these moments where you're in this flow state. But I think sometimes like that is it's overemphasized how frequently it's possible for someone to get into that flow state, especially in an open sport like soccer or football. Now I'm in my head about this today. Now, but I'm not automatic with it. Um, especially with a sport where so much of the context changes, there's so many variables, and so like. Um, I don't know, like the example that I would maybe think of, like if you think of someone who is like working on an assembly line, right? And they have this one task that they do. Maybe they're screwing lids onto the top of the jar, although I imagine they have robots for that now. But we'll just say. Um, so, you know, you're, you're putting the lid on top of the jar and you're used to like a certain cadence. Maybe it has a certain rhythm and you can sit there and you can like crank, crank through jars. They're coming. Well, like all of a sudden, let's say the company changes the jar size. If you're automatic with your previous movement, but the thing in front of you is totally different, you're not going to be effective in the same way because like your automatic process is reacting to an environment that doesn't match. And so I think there's often an emphasis on the individual and how automatic the individual should be without proper attention to the context and how context shifts. Flow state is always an interaction between the context and the individual. Like there's not Western psychology especially focuses heavily on how do we modify individual approaches to thinking or challenging thoughts or narrowing in on certain things to create um, this internal state. But that totally ignores how that internal state is always about a person's interaction with their environment. And so when you like moving this now like to a Jordan Henderson example is like, you know, he has this really set idea of what he wants to have happen when he's playing on the right side. And maybe to some extent that is really automatic, but the context didn't fit that or cover for that. When you lose the Wijnaldum on the other side, who's able to do more of the work, the awareness work, right? And like, and maybe that's the thing Henderson really lacks is like, he's not aware of the whole game. He's really focused on his part of the game and doing the things that he's going to do well. And maybe he's at his best when he doesn't have to be really aware of the entire game around him. So then you have Fabinho and Wijnaldum who are super aware and can cover a lot of that between themselves and figure a lot of that out. You lose Wijnaldum and now all of a sudden that there's a gap in awareness and now the, the jars are bigger and Henderson's flow messes with the, the whole team and, him being automatic at that is not beneficial anymore. And then, like you say, like that starts not working. 
And of course, then at some point, um, you recognize that it's not working and you can't like you're in your head there thinking, well, what do I have to do? And now you're thinking consciously about something um, and trying to like recreate something consciously, which creates you get into the sort of this paralysis by analysis sort of state. And I think the the alternative there that you talk about how a new role can be focusing, especially if it's simple. Um, you know, the other piece of this flow is when challenge meets skill. Right. And so my perceived skill level and what I'm what my capabilities are, are equal with the, the challenge, the, the task at hand. And so, like, you take him and you move him to a different spot and maybe you give two instructions. Right. Do this thing and this thing and whatever those are. Um, and if he feels like, yes, I can do those and I don't have to do more. And that's engaging enough. Right. Like you don't want to give someone too simple of a role that becomes boring. But like. You know, if this role is like, yeah, I can do that, then you kind of hit this this flow state point again, but not in a way that necessarily requires automaticity of this new role at a detailed level. What it really is, is like um, doing something new puts me in a position where I have to be aware of my environment. And so like it creates like the challenge, the interaction comes from the environment. So it's like with the jars thing, if you slow down the assembly line to a certain point where you're adjusting to the new jars, like you're reacting to what's in front of you rather than reacting to what's in your head. And sometimes if something becomes automatic in a certain way, like and you're trying to recreate that, now what you're doing is you're trying to recreate something that you had before, which means you're not playing the game in front of you which means you're not going to be in flow state there because flow state is an interaction between you and your environment. And so um, this feels kind of circular and convoluted. Am I making... No, you're making perfect sense. And I do think as well, <laughs> like if if in his head, his skill set is when he's playing in the right midfield, I have 10 things that I'm very good at. Part of the problem is you're trying to figure out, if it's not working, you're trying to figure out which of those 10 things could be the thing that's not working. Do you get me? So, and, and then you try and change one of those things. So all of a sudden you're mm -hmm. not in that flow state. But there could be three of those things that, that aren't working. So how do I figure out how mm -hmm. three of them? And I have to figure it out in game. And what happens when we're in game? We get punished because everyone else isn't sure either. And again, we're not pointing the finger at Jordan Henderson saying all our problems are down to him. We're just taking him as an example, like we've done with Fabinho and looking at what could be some of the, the, the ways to best utilize these players mm -hmm. that we have. And like that, if you're breaking it down, he looked like he enjoyed. Now, granted, we won't say no, but he was enjoying his football a lot more. He didn't seem to be as vocal. He didn't seem to be as, uh, you know, taking on the mantle of I have to be the captain. He was just playing his game. And in fairness, you know, for me anyway, and probably a lot of the, the fan base, his, his clipped crosses drive me bananas from the right. Like just because they never lead to anything. Um, but that cross he put in for Nunez's header where he had, he couldn't do his clip cross mm -hmm. was, was fantastic. And it highlighted his his ability, which I think maybe some fans have forgotten that he has got ability. Um, right. So that coupled with the other tweaks that maybe they've made uh, may be the way forward. Now, my concern is 
that we've got Bournemouth this weekend and that Jorgen will go back to the old tried and tested. That's my concern. You know, I think... Um, I think Jurgen has a good habit of, like, when he finds something that works, like, if he gets a little momentum, he sticks with it. Um, and this feels like it's got some momentum. But I, I also could imagine it going back to what works, so I don't know. Um, I, I think the big thing here, too, is to not overreact or underreact to to the seven seven nothing like you want to gain all of the energy and all of the the enjoyment really reinforce the things here that went well and you know to me what it looked like went well is they found something that hit back on people's strengths and um you know so just being really focused on the process and keep doing that and know that like it's the result isn't going to be like that every game you know that's not um yeah, that's that's not going to be our new normal, right? Mm. Like we're not just going to go out and beat teams. And even like our XG for the United game was like two and a half, I think. Like it wasn't that high, mm. so you know we got seven from two and a half expected goals. Like that's a freak result, I believe, is what Jurgen said. But like a good performance still, and it's really important to be mindful of that. And um, you know, it just goes to show too, like we've talked about. And all the episodes where we talked about, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? How it's one small thing can create a ripple effect in identity that makes it feel like a lot is wrong. And then when you're searching for answers, um, you can get yourself in some real trouble and down some real rabbit holes. And I think the fact that we've had a few games in a row that looked the way they have is like a, a testament to what Jurgen Klopp has been saying this whole time, which is like, keep focusing, keep doing the work, keep reinforcing the things we're supposed to be doing and doing well and make small tweaks in there to, to gain some momentum, but like not ripping up and starting all the way over. And I don't, I don't see what's been going on for us the past few weeks as being a ripping up and starting over. I think it's been like the tweaking of finally finding how to do the thing we've been trying to do the whole time. Mm. And talking of ripping things up and starting over. Do you like what I did there, Al? Well played, sir. Well played. Yeah, not so bad. But Chelsea, like the amount of Liverpool fans we will see thoroughly enjoying every moment of Chelsea's demise. You know, granted they got through to the next round in the Champions League, but in the league, the, that, but yet, the same Liverpool fans will be calling for, you know, oil rich owners to come in and just throw tons and tons of money and like, okay, that's just the way it is. That's just the way we, we work as, as, as fans or people or whatever. But talk to me about the, the psychological challenges that that ripping up and starting over can cause, um, and the impact that can have in the short and the long term as well. Yeah. So Sandeep had asked us this question on Discord and said, what is starting it, what does starting over look like? Right. And so, um, I had taken some time to think about, well, like, what does it, like, what does that really mean? Right. Because like you're, there's no, as an, sometimes there's these expressions, which everyone knows what they mean. So then someone uses them in a certain context and it's like, oh yeah, of course. But then when you think about it, really, it's like, well, what the, like, what does that actually look like? Plan B. <laughs> right. And so, like, I think in this case, like, there's like, oh, we have to rip it up and start it all over. And I think, like, you had brought up tactically, 
ripping something up and starting it over is is one version of that is like you can create a whole new tactic um you know one of the other versions of ripping everything up is the chelsea version which is like we're just going to keep bringing in new players on top of the players we have and like the players who we have are going to get pushed down and we're just going to go with this new team another version of it is um the jose Mourinho version which is like, I'm going to pick three people on this team to criticize like crazy. And I'm going to start calling out these players and I'm going to start like sending people to train with the youth team. And I'm going to like assert my will and alienate people. And like the people who come with me will be great. And the people who um, don't will be left behind. And um, maybe 15 years ago or 10 years ago, that was working really well. And more recently, that like means that he gets fired. And then there's another version of it, which would be. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Some version of the United, like maybe Ten Hag did this last year at United a little bit, or um, not last year. Who was there at the end of last year? Ragnick. Um, blowing it up where it, like it just implodes and the players decide to blow it up and quit. There would be the version of... Um, we're going to bin on like the, the first team, like is they're done. Like we're going to take all the young players and the youth players and we're going to start something new with them. And so all of these have different psychological ramifications, I think. And so I don't know that we'll be able to get through all of them. Um, but I'll, I'll go through maybe some pros and cons of each. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And then you can tell me too, like what, what your thoughts are on like each of these different and like, especially your experience with organizations. I'm sure you've seen different groups in these situations. Right. And so like, mm-hmm. I'd be really interested, um, you know, starting with maybe the bringing in all new talent. Like, I think on the one hand, like if you're, you're the, the fans, like that's really exciting to have all of these new players. Like, it can feel like, hey, we're bringing in all of this quality. Maybe that could be intimidating to other teams. Um, you know, you might get it right on the first time and just happen to get all of these players who click really well together. Um, but I think the negative side of that is if it's, not, if it's not working, you've wasted a huge amount of money and resources. You have a lot of unhappy players who are really good quality players sort of in the second tier of your team. Um, you have then like a lot of high quality players who are competing for spots and you're very likely to have um, difficulties with the hierarchy of the group, right? Like it's, it does help to have some established starters and some clear hierarchy of who's where, even though you want challenge in that, you don't want a bunch of, you don't want people in this second tier who are really frustrated at being there. So you can create a lot of conflict there. 
Um, I think those would be the, the big ones. And then if it doesn't work, you look really frantic, right? You look like you're just buying players. And then every new player you buy, it loses that power to excite people because it feels a little more frantic. And so it's like a, you can break glass in case of an emergency. But if you've done that a million times, like it doesn't feel like, hey, this person is going to be the solution. Whereas right now as Liverpool fans, we're all sort of like, oh, cool. Like if we get Bellingham this summer. That could be everything, right? Because we don't break glass in case of emergencies nearly as much. Whereas like if you're City or Chelsea and you've seen Man United, maybe even up until this year, you've seen this a bunch of times. You buy Anthony for 80 million and it's like, oh, fuck, this hasn't fixed everything. So it can get old. And if that dissipates, like you've exhausted a possible like momentum builder. Yeah. And I do think with Chelsea as the example, you also in their mix have a coach who's only new in the door and he hasn't had a chance to one establish a culture to establish how he wants to operate. And actually, if we look at how he, how he's picking his team, they're pretty much the same as a lot of the, their existing players. So a lot of the new players haven't been brought in yet. And like you said, the, the challenge with that then is you've got all these high quality players sitting, not even getting in the squad, never mind getting in on, on the team, onto the first 11. So that is an, a totally other side of the nuance. And yeah, absolutely. When you look at it, what they've had is pretty much the cheat code for, for FIFA or a football manager where they, just put the cheat code in and get two billion quid and you can go off. And then every star that you buy in which are two billion quid is like, eh, yeah, so we've got Messi. Yeah, got, me- got uh, Mbappe. Yeah, not that bothered. And it diminishes the, the impact of it. So I absolutely see that. And I think we're seeing that in organizations across the world, especially tech organizations, <laughs> you know, it's just unfortunate for the likes of poor Elon, um, where he has global, glo- global governmental, um, employment laws that he thinks are the same as in America where you can just fire somebody by email and you can't. <laughs> So come to Europe because your employment laws are so much better. They can't just fire with an email. And it is that kind of break glass. Myself, so I think I'm safe. Well, you might sack yourself if you're not doing a good job. <laughs> but so I think, yeah, that, absolutely. That's a, a massive challenge for, for anyone. And I would not want us to be in that situation. And I think you get, that's a deep hole, mm. right? Like if you get that wrong, your money is gone. You have a lot of unhappy players on long contracts. You probably have gone through a few managers. Like if you really get yourself stuck in there, like United from last year is a really good example. You can get yourself really stuck in there. Right. Um, So I think, you know, moving on to maybe one of the other ones, um, let's get like the youth one, I think is one that that's maybe, you know, often you'll see this, people call for this, right? It's like the, the first team's really not doing well. You've got a lot of sort of like what you all over there would call dead wood, I think. And um, like you've got a lot of players who are maybe on high contracts or towards the end of their career, and it's just really not working. And they're like, look, like take all the young players, like take the, the academy kids who are going to be 
really fired up to play, and at least you'll get some passion. At least you'll get people who are playing for the club and like, you know, maybe the energy that they bring and the intensity that they bring will, will like pull back in some of those first team players. And like, then you'll have something that feels really cohesive and like there's a lot of identity and that's a way of blowing it up, right? It's like you're giving up on this generation of players or the people who you expected to be in the top tier. And you're saying to the second tier, Hey, it's your turn. We're giving you the reins. I think on the positive side, if that goes well, how much fun for the fans, right? And how much fun for those players? So you're going to have some really passionate players. And I think there's plenty of times, right, where we see um, that's the that's the breakout moment of a young player's career when they're given that responsibility. Mm. They step into that, and all of a sudden, without spending anything, Besitich actually is a great example of this, right? Like, um, you know, he was a little bit of a, uh-oh, like we got to throw this kid in, and stepped up in a really big way um, to show that he can do something. So you might for free, find a player who's really excellent and like gives you some momentum. It becomes sort of inspirational for the group and like elevates the level of the group. I think done in mass, you have to look at like how realistic is it for you to expect five youth team players to step up and just take control of this club and really move it forward the way you're looking at. And like, I think if then it goes really badly and they get smoked, you can cause some damage to the development of those players and certainly then like you've i don't need a vpn i've got nothing to hide <laughs> this is what i used to tell myself before i hooked up with libertyshield.com not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but i can now access all the websites i want whenever i want and do so from absolutely anywhere as a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. You fucked your chances of doing well that year, right? So, yeah. like, um, it's a, a high upside. The downside, like, the reality is you're probably not going to get um, the top-tier performances you could get from those other players, but also there's more momentum you can build from mediocre performances because if you have um, these players who are... Their expectations are much lower now, right? And so if they do okay and they do decently, and they're fighting in games, like, that's really exciting. Whereas if you had players you were expecting to dominate games, fighting in games and doing okay, that's not exciting. That's a disappointment. And so that shift in expectations gives you a threshold for building momentum that's different. Um, and so that's that's one of the things there. And I just, you know, it's fun. That's a fun one. That's that's how I would do it if I were blowing <laughs> Yeah, and it's something we see a lot of where fans will go, well, what have we got to lose? But I think as you outlined, there's quite a few things you, you could lose outside of the matches. And then right. there's the whole, 
cultural side of things as well. What are you saying to the first team squad? It's like you are no longer part of this this process, but you're still here and you're still on big wages. And they're all friends. So you might have uh, people who are in the team, uh, you know, more established players going, who the fuck is this upstart coming in and thinking he can take my place or my best friend's place? Uh, and I don't know, I, I don't know him well enough to know if I can trust him to be able to do what I need him to do in order for me to fulfill my role. And therefore, I have to start thinking about my role. And if I have to start thinking about my role, then I have to start to switch off that automatic response to things that probably gives me the edge. And I'm thinking here of like a Mo Salah. And if we, if we think about it, he's been put this season with two brand new players. And you can see the frustration that he had where he wasn't getting the ball that maybe he would have got from Prime Bobby or Prime Manny, you know. And it, that takes time to build up. And it will take time if we brought in a load of kids as well because that's just the way it's going to be. It's not just about the individual. It's about having the structures at this higher level. It's about having the structure. So you might be with, say... My local club, Drada United, they might get away with bringing a load of youth players in because they've been playing together since they were 10, 11, 12. And the, the threshold of quality is so much less. Liverpool can't afford to do that, except in those break glass moments with Bastic, with Trent. Like Trent turned out to be the best one. But for every Trent there is, you're going to have... Uh, What's his name? John Flanagan. You're going to have a Kevin Stewart. You're going to have whoever else that we've had that everyone thought when they came in, yeah, yeah, this guy's doing good. But I, I think you framed it expertly. They play up above the standard we expect for them. So we are happy. Whereas the players that we expect to be excellent play down below that level. That level is still higher than what those young lads are, are reaching, but we don't recognise it because it's a drop down in the level and they are a step up. So I think that's something to really, really keep in mind for any listeners if we are calling for bring all the kids in. So is there anything else then that we we need to cover I, with this? I would just like to address the Jose Mourinho version Go. because it also is fun to watch from the outside, which is just like... The idea there is like, I'm going to blow up all of these players in order to motivate them and get the best out of everybody. And like, if that goes well, like, yeah, maybe you get some people who are mad. You get some nice angry energy. Maybe they're like, we're going to prove the, the gaffer, as you all say, wrong over there. Um, we're going to prove the gaffer wrong and we're going to like really like show them and you create this us for a mentality, which can be pretty powerful. If you get it wrong, you alienate everybody and watch things burn down around you. I would also like to point out. There is a version of this where at the end of the year, Bobby Firmino leaves, Joel Matip leaves, Naby is out of contract, Ox is out of contract, Milner is gone, and for new faces, you have, you sell Costas, which is on the table. That's six pretty established players who go out the window. You have two strikers who have been bought in the last year in Gakpo and Nunez, who are now starting starting roles. You have a midfielder in Basetic, along with some new midfielders, and Elliot, who are establishing themselves in the first team along with some new midfielders who you bring in to at a younger age. You have Konate at the back, who is new. You get someone to replace Matip, and now you have two younger, newer center backs, which looks like something new. You replace um, Costas on the left side as a backup with someone who's younger and looks like a newer generation coming through. And now all of a sudden, 
it looks like you have started something completely new without ever having an explosion of ripping things up and destroying people and saying, no, we're done with this and we're starting something totally new. You have something that feels like a transition, something new without the explosion. Yeah. And it's it's funny, for the last two or three months, in the midst of all this shite that we've been watching, I've had this excitement about next season because I do think Gakpo, Nunes, um, Bastic, Kanata, hopefully if he can stay fit, they're showing signs that they're starting to get it. They're starting to click. And, you know, if they click, Mo is Mo. He is just phenomenal. Trent is Trent. He's just phenomenal. Ali is Ali. He's phenomenal. Virgil is Virgil. He's phenomenal. And Robbo, over the last couple of weeks, has been looking more like Robbo. So there is... For me, there's a lot to be hopeful for. A lot to be hopeful for. And, yeah, and I think... I was going to say, I think if anybody could go on a run to get into the top four, it's us. Mm-hmm. Like I said last week. Yeah. And I think the reality is too, like there is calling for a rip up and start it over. And I think Klopp has been around too long for that and doesn't believe in that. And he did this... His way, they are starting over. There is absolutely a recognition that this couldn't do it anymore, and maybe he's a year late with it. Um, but we also might have been one too many transfer away from this not being that bad of a year at all mm-hmm. and feeling like a totally different restart with a totally different option next year for moving on some players who are ready to move on and starting something new. And so I think, like, you know, if we can make a run to top four this year and keep this going and then bring in the pieces next year that make this look more like a complete group. That's a job pretty impressively done. We look forward to it, Andrew. <laughs> and I look forward to all the people who are going to kill me for my optimism. <laughs> top red. Top red is what you all say over there, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your insight today. This was a really enjoyable one. I, I, I think the listeners will get an awful lot out of it. I hope you have a good couple of weeks and, yeah, up the fucking reds. We'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.